Joshua chapter 21. The land of inheritance, the promised land, has been doled out as, uh, to all the different tribes of Israel. They, Joshua has even established what they call refugee cities, where a person could flee to a refuge city if they happen to kill someone accidentally. Uh, then you were free then to live in that city where the person could not avenge the blood of their relative and you could live there. Kind of a different system. But let's read Joshua chapter 21, which is three verses here, 43, 44, and 45. So the Lord gave to Israel all the land of which he had sworn to to give to their fathers, and they took possessions of it and dwelt in it. The Lord gave them rest all around according to all that he had sworn to their fathers, and not a man of all their enemies stood against them. The Lord delivered all their enemies into their hands. Not a word failed of any good thing which the Lord had spoken to the house of Israel. All came to pass. Joshua, who happened to write the book of Joshua, he's verifying the faithfulness of God to Israel. God has done everything he said he would do. God has given all the land which he promised to the fathers of Israel. And basically, this is how the promised land received its name of the promised land because it was promised to them by God. And the Lord has now given Israel rest. Not just one little city or one little area, but the entire land is at rest. And there's peace there in Canaan. No wars, no battles, no skirmishes. All the enemies of Israel have been subdued. Peace now prevails in Israel, in the land of Canaan. And this comes after years of battles, years of taking different cities and that kind of thing. And Joshua now testifies to the fact not a word that God promised to Israel has failed. I mean, how complete God is to us. Recently, I heard our Secretary of State declare how Iran has been in compliance with all the nuclear reg regulations set forth in our peace treaty with them. I just hope that is true. I trust Joshua a little more than I trust our Secretary of State, though. But the civilized world cries out for peace. We want peace. Peace like the peace that Joshua has declared for Israel. I don't know about you, but I grow weary sometime of hearing of wars and rumors of wars and, you know, Watching the evening news is uh, 
well, it's no longer an option for a lot of people. They just don't want to be watching the news and being troubled by it. But I'm still hanging in there with the evening news. I still watch it. But I only watch the evening news where I can relate to you people with the current issues. That's the only reason I watch it. Well, seriously. <laughs> Many people have become so troubled by the world's unrest that watching the news broadcast in the evening or in morning or whenever, they just no longer do it. They don't want to be confronted with all the violence that's going on around the world. But here we have peace that has come to the promised land. Now the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh have now gone back to their area, which was uh, east of the Jordan River, and now Joshua, he is an old man, and he's nearing death, and he gives a last word of warning to Israel. So let's turn to Joshua 23, and we'll just read uh, three verses there, 14 through 16. Behold, this day I am going the way of all the earth, and you know in all your hearts and all your souls that not one thing has failed of all the good things which the Lord your God spoke concerning you. You have come to, all have come to pass for you, not one word of them has failed. Therefore it shall come to pass that as the good things have come upon you, which the Lord your God promised you, so that the Lord will bring upon you all the harmful things until he has destroyed you from the good land which the Lord your God has given you. When you have transgressed the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and have gone and served other gods and bowed down before them, then the anger of the Lord will burn against you, and you shall perish quickly from the good land which he has given you. Wow. <laughs> God is saying, you're going to turn against me, and therefore I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to destroy you quickly from the land. But Joshua, he's lived his life. He realizes his time, his days are very close to being completed. He says, I am going the way of all the earth. Every person ever born will go the way of the earth. It is appointed unto man to once die. That has been completely truthful except for Elijah. Elijah was caught up in the world, never, never encountered death. But Lazarus, whom Jesus called from the tomb, he died twice. He died, Jesus called him forth, and then he died again. Jesus called Lazarus from the grave, and it's interesting that now the religious leaders, they want to kill Lazarus again because people now believe in Jesus. Consider that for a moment. We're going to kill the guy that Jesus brought back to life because they've now turned to Jesus. Kind of ironic. But anyway, Joshua, he again proclaims God's faithfulness to Israel. Not one iota. Iota is a little bitty piece. Not one iota of a good thing has failed to come about 
God has been totally and completely faithful. But we notice verse 15. Right when Israel is enjoying the blessings and the good pleasure and the good promises of God in all their fullness, right in the middle of this time, this good life that they're living, the Lord now says, I'm going to bring harmful things upon you until I have completely destroyed you from the land that I have gave you. Because God sees Israel's future transgression. They're going to transgress his covenant with them, and God brings this upon them before it happens. This is a great example of God's foreknowledge. Only God can do that kind of thing. Look to the future and then act according to the future. But God is God and he is sovereign. In God's justice and righteousness, he appropriately brings judgment upon Israel before they transgress, before they break his covenant with them. The covenant of God with Israel was first found in Exodus, and it was one of the Ten Commandments. Have no other gods before me. Don't do it, Israel. Worship no other gods, for I am a jealous God. And there's a reason for this first commandment. God is jealous, and he's jealous for the love and worship of Israel, and he's jealous for us to love him and worship him. God was with Israel. They've conquered the promised land, but God still remains jealous for the hearts of his people, and he's jealous for your heart and mine. Man's jealousy is not like God's jealousy. God's jealousy is for the good of man. We're to enjoy the abundant life that he has laid out for us, a life that has meaning. The older I get, the more I appreciate the fact that I can live a Christian life and my life can have meaning, eternal meaning. But before Israel can begin to practice their worship and sacrifice to these other gods, God's anger burns against them. And that makes us ask a question. Do we understand the heart of God? Christians of today are prone to what I call legalism. We want to know what kind of behavior is acceptable to God. Many young Christians ask the question, is it okay for me to do and then this or that? Many Christians base their theology, their view of God, not on what we should do, but on what we should not do. I'm here to tell you I don't smoke or chew or go with girls that do, okay? Made that commitment a while back. 
there are people within the Christian faith who feel if you worship on Sunday, that is the mark of the beast. Christians. Others believe to be a member of their church that you have to be baptized into their church. And Paul clearly stated there's one baptism. But I want you to turn with me to Matthew 19. And we're going to look at a story that you're more than familiar with. And it's the story of the rich young ruler. So Matthew 19, we'll look at verses 16 through 22. Going to give you a chance to get there. Now behold, one came and said to him, Good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? So he said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, and that is God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. And he said to him, Which ones? Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these things I have kept from my youth, what do I still lack? And Jesus said to him, if you want to be perfect, go sell what you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasures in heaven, and come and follow me. But when the young man heard this saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. This rich young ruler, he is a man of importance in his community. He's asked Jesus a question that all of us Wait to hear the answer that Jesus will give. Good teacher, what good things shall I do to have eternal life? God created man, and when he created man, he created us an eternal being. The day we were born, we were born into our eternity, a living soul. This young Jewish man has questions about eternal life. He wants life. He doesn't want separation and death that comes from being apart from God. I sometimes marvel about the question of eternal life. To my amazement, some people never give eternity a serious thought. We are given a soul, this, the eternal part of us, that God, we can be like God in this respect that we never physically go away. We were given a soul when we were born. And in our lifetime, in our earthly bodies here, on earth, we make the decision decision where we will spend eternity. We're given our eternity, but we're only given a moment to make that decision. The rich young ruler, 
He is pondering. He is thinking. He is throwing this around in his little head. What about eternal life? And he wants Jesus to tell him, how and what should I do to earn eternal life? Unfortunately, there's a great deception in the modern day thinking about life and death. Many, many people believe there is a God and they base their belief of God as being kind and being a God of love. And they take the next step, which is a erroneous step, and they say, therefore, I have no responsibility to God because God is all love. They believe that God will give them eternal life because they are doing the best they can. And they believe that man's efforts equal eternal life. If you don't believe me, go to a funeral sometime. Almost every funeral, those that I've at least been to where I didn't preside over it, they declare what a loving, good person has just died. Oh, he was a good father. He was a loving husband. He was always kind to everyone. He was a people person. We all hear the same story. The conclusion comes about then that they are now in heaven because God is a God of love and they're just a good person. But listen to the words of Jesus to this rich young ruler. Keep the commandments. He goes, which ones, Jesus? And I want to answer that for Jesus. All of them. (laughs) But Jesus replies about the man-to-man commandments. You know, murder, adultery, that kind of thing. The young ruler declares, all these things I have kept from my youth. But then we, we hear the rich young ruler, and he has a moment of clarity. And he asks Jesus, but what do I still lack? Good question. This young man realizes there is still something there that he is missing. Jesus continues with him. If you want to be perfect, if you want to have no blemishes, nothing against you, nothing to separate you from God, go sell what you have and give to the poor. And you will have treasures in heaven. Jesus has just put his finger on the man's motive and purpose for life. 
Jesus doesn't want his money. He says, go sell what you have and give to the poor. Jesus wants his heart. You come and follow me, young ruler. You come after me. And the truth of the matter is, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also, just like in our scripture reading. Jesus has caused this rich, young Jewish man to realize that he has not obeyed the first commandment given to man, given by God, the command not to place anything, no other gods before the living God. Jesus established up front in their conversation that he is the only good one. Or Jesus is telling us, young man, I am God in the flesh. No one is good, only one. And that is God. So keep the commandments. And Jesus takes him through the man-to-man commandments. But he stops the rich young ruler in his tracks with his conclusion. One thing you lack. One thing missing in your life. You're missing the most important singular issue. That you're to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. And that is known to the Jewish people as the Shema. And every, every single Jew knows the Shema. To love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And this is where the rich young ruler has failed completely. And in a moment, in that moment of clarity, the rich young ruler realizes he has made possessions his God above the living God. Let me read the following four verses as Jesus now talks to his disciples. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Assuredly, I say to you, that it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And when his disciples heard it, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said to them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Jesus says, assuredly. Jesus is making his words have emphasis to his disciples. And it's, he said, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Now, for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, you got to get him long and skinny. Some Bible scholars tried to manipulate this verse 
and they have the camel going through a narrow passage or a hole in the, uh, the city wall or something like this. <clears throat> but the words camel and the word needle are easy words to translate. Camel is camel. Needle is needle. And Jesus' example describes the difficulty of a rich man entering the kingdom of God. And this amazes the disciples. Because it's in their thinking, if you were rich, you had God's favor and blessings upon you. But think with me here. Everyone in this room is rich by the world's standards. That's where the rubber hits the road. We're all rich. According to the world's standards, we're rich. So let me admonish each and every one of us. Do not allow our riches to separate us from the one, the only one, who is God. Let us follow Jesus. Amen? Amen. The rich young man, he went away sorrowful because he couldn't bring himself to do it. He couldn't sell what he had. And he couldn't follow Jesus because of his great possessions. I pray that that is not true with us. Amen. Let's pray. Let me get you to stand. We'll pray. <clears throat> Father, we can stand here this morning and understand and realize that there isn't anything that we should let come between you and us. And so we pray for that. Lord, in one of your passages, you said this, you looked at this rich young man and you loved him. And yet he still didn't follow you. Lord, we want to follow you. We want to show our love to you by simply following you. You've given us possessions. You've given us a good lifestyle. We have wealth beyond what the world really knows about. We're blessed, Lord, but we don't want our wealth to interfere with our relationship with you. So, Lord, show us how to follow you. We want to be your disciples. We want to be followers of Christ in all that we do. And please don't allow our possessions or anything else to get in between yourself and ourself. Lord God, let us just make a covenant with you that we will be quick to follow you wherever you may lead us. And we pray that you would do this by a work of your spirit in our hearts and lives. We pray for this, Lord. We know you hear us. And it's still our prayer that we want to follow close after you. Pray for this and we ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.